Welcome to Hear Her Sports. Each week, I talk to female athletes and women in sports to give voice to adventurous and athletic women and to inspire us to stay active and involved in sports. Megan Morgan is the executive director of Girls in the Game. She and I talk about how her program empowers girls through sports, health, and leadership. We also talk about expanding girls in the game beyond Chicago and why sports are so important for girls of all ages. Welcome, Megan, to Hear Her Sports. How about introducing yourself and also Girls in the Game? Introduce Girls in the Game. Sure. So Girls in the Game has been around for 22 years, and we were started by a group of women in Chicago who attributed their success in life, so both personally and professionally, to their experience playing sports as girls. And they looked around, you know, the landscape of Chicago and saw that the girls in Chicago just didn't have the same opportunities that they did when they were young to play sports. And so originally we were started as an organization just to give girls opportunities to play sports, so after school sports programs, a summer camp. But after a couple of years, it quickly became apparent that girls needed more than just sports, that they also needed the health and nutrition education and the leadership development. So a lot of those topics that really naturally go along with sports, like teamwork and diversity and you know overcoming challenges, they, those were all officially incorporated into the organization's mission. And so now, Girls in the Game would never run a program that is like just a soccer program without also very intentionally having a health and nutrition component and a leadership development component. And our programs are really designed so that girls get involved at a young age. So ideally a girl will get involved with girls in the game at the age of seven or eight and then stay involved, you know, until she's done with high school and even beyond. And so we have a variety of different programs that serve girls over the long term and year-round. And as the girls get older, the programs are much more leadership-focused. So when they're younger, it's a lot of kind of fun and games, and we're kind of sneaking in those other lessons. And then as they get older and are, you know, more high school age, then the programs focus a lot on kind of seeing themselves as leaders and role models for younger girls. And so our high school programs, the girls learn how to lead workshops, and then they go out and lead workshops for younger girls in their community. So the the high school program actually is involved in the the younger kids' programs? Yes, yes. That's Um, awesome. Yeah, it's very cool, Um, and it's something that we're trying to expand on a little more, Um, you know, recognizing that the teens are going to have much more of an impact on the younger girls because they're much cooler than we are. So, you know, we can provide them with adult coaches, and that's great, but, you know, when the teens come, especially – when it comes to kind of that difficult middle school age, the middle school girls are going to respond a lot more to, you know, high school girls coming and talking to them than they are adult coaches. So what kind of training are the high school girls who are going to be working with the younger girls? What kind of training are they getting? So they have to interview to be part of the program. And um, we don't tell them this, but basically, you know, if they interview and take it seriously, they, they get in. It's not a very competitive program. But they, you know, so they fill out an application, they go through an interview process, and then once they're accepted into Teen Squad, they go through um, two full days of training. So they learn, you know, everything our adult coaches learn. They go through our best practices training. They go through curriculum training. They kind of get to choose, like, which topics they want to coach the younger girls. So there's a lot of kind of um, ownership of the program themselves. They're deciding which ones you know, which workshops they want to lead. And then when it comes to the individual workshops, they're kind of deciding who's going to lead what part of it. And so 
um, they're really getting to practice kind of being a leader among their peers as well as among younger girls. That's awesome. I also want to congratulate you for being named the new ED of Girls in the Game. That's Yeah, thank you. That's very exciting. Um, yeah, it is. So what, what are your immediate and long-term goals for the organization? Yeah, it's a great question. So Girls in the Game is currently um, in the first year of a three-year strategic plan. So we went through a pretty long process last year of, you know, kind of determining what our future direction was. And, you know, a little bit of background on that. Before we had gone into that planning process, we had expanded a little bit outside of Chicago because opportunities came up. And so, um, you know, we've always served girls across the whole city of Chicago, um, focusing mostly on the south and west side. But probably about five years ago, an opportunity came up for us to partner with Illinois State University and run some programming down in Bloomington, Illinois. And so we started doing that, and, you know, it's been going really well since then. Um, a couple of years later, an opportunity came up through Under Armour, which is a partner of ours, and they're headquartered in Baltimore. And they had asked us if we would be interested in bringing our programming to Baltimore. Baltimore is a very similar city to Chicago. I mean, it's a lot smaller, but um, the school district works the same and faces a lot of the same challenges. So um, we were excited for the opportunity to go do some work there. And so we've been running after school programs in Baltimore for this is our third year there. And then last year, through another funding opportunity, we started doing some teen programming in Dallas, Texas. And so um, we kind of found ourselves in this position where we, you know, had expanded a little outside of Chicago, but without like a real plan for growth. And we didn't want to find ourselves kind of 10 years from now just being in kind of random pockets across the country with no, you know, larger plan. And so a lot of the plan was focused on, you know, what does growth and expansion look like for girls in the game and what do we want to focus on? And so um, we came to the conclusion that, you know, at least for the next three years, we're not looking to expand to any more cities besides the ones that we're already in. And that what we really want to focus on is, you know, deepening our impact. So both within Chicago and our expansion markets kind of, um, reaching more girls that really need our programs that can benefit from, you know, our leadership programs and also um, deepening our, our impact on the girls we're already serving. And so how can we serve those girls in more ways? And so what we'll be doing in our expansion markets is kind of working on expanding our whole continuum of programming. So for instance, in Baltimore right now, we're only doing elementary after school programming, but we'd like to you know, also serve middle and high school girls in Baltimore. So we'll, we'll expand what we're doing in those cities um, while at the same time kind of getting all the infrastructure that we need in place for future expansion ready. So, um, you know, making sure our training is easily replicable in different markets, making sure our curriculum is up to speed, um, just making sure kind of all our internal staffing pra practices are, you know, where they should be. Um, and then, you know, even in Chicago, I mean, Chicago is where our heart is, and it's always going to be, you know, where our heart is. And so we focused a lot on, you know, reaching those girls that, could use our programs the most. And that's, that's challenging work because those aren't always the girls that are going to like, you know, volunteer to sign up for our programs if we're at their school. And so last year we started doing some programming at the Cook County Temporary Juvenile Detention Center. So working with girls that are residing there, some are there for only a few weeks, some are there for more long-term kind of depending on their case and and their own individual situation. And so we found that work to be really rewarding and want to look at how we can kind of reach more girls who maybe are coming from tougher circumstances. I have a lot of questions for you after that. Sure. Yeah, um, I know. I just, that was a mouthful. 
Yeah. So let's start. One of the main questions is, how are you managing from Chicago these long-distance programs so that they do remain part of Girls in the Game and, and remain consistent with what you're doing in Chicago? Yeah, that's a great question. So right now, our method of expansion is through those university partnerships. So I mentioned in Bloomington, we partner with Illinois State University. In Texas, we partner with uh, University of North Texas in, in Denton, Texas, which is right outside Dallas. And in Baltimore, we're in Towson University. And so the way that works is we have a partnership with the university where um, in all of those cases, we're kind of funding a graduate assistantship position. So within a department of the university, so, um, you know, at Towson University, we're within the women's studies department and we fund a, a graduate assistantship. And then, so that person is getting paid to serve as our girls in the game coordinator. And their job is to recruit other students to serve as coaches for our program. Um, we keep into, we have someone here who manages those university coordinators and she, you know, talks with them weekly, either via phone or via Skype. They have, um, kind of group meetings where they, they get to kind of talk with each other, um, through conference calls so that they're, you know, kind of sharing, um, similar struggles and solutions to some of those issues. Um, when we hire those people, we fly them into Chicago to go through our best practices training with our coaches here so that they're going through the same training that all of our coaches here have. And then when they're training their coaches remotely, we have staff that fly out and help them train those coaches remotely. Uh, the curriculum is the same curriculum. And so um, we're confident that since they're going through the same training and getting kind of the same level of support as our coaches in Chicago, that the, you know, the, the outcomes are the same. And, in fact, we've partnered with Loyola University in Chicago for the past 10 years to measure the effectiveness of our program. And we've been lucky enough that Loyola has even been able to measure um, some outcomes in Baltimore and have found, you know, similar outcomes to our programs here. Have you found any differences between the cities, uh, between the population that you're serving or some of the challenges or any, or any differences? Yeah, sure. I mean, so in a lot of ways, you know, girls are the same wherever you go, but um, but not but not you know, in every way. And so um, in Bloomington, it's a very different population than we work with in Chicago and Baltimore because it's a pretty rural area. And so um, they're, they're facing some of the same challenges when it comes to, like, obesity and, and lack of physical activity, but they're not necessarily facing the same kind of challenges that girls in Chicago are facing when it comes to violence, for instance. Um, and so, you know, the, a lot of the curriculum is... Um, you know, can can address kind of a wide range of issues and can is flexible enough to meet any girl's needs. But we also have some curriculum that is specific to certain situations. So, um, you know, if we have a community in Chicago that is dealing with a violent situation, then we have curriculum that's very specific to that situation. So in those cases, we're not using that curriculum in Bloomington when it's not applicable. Um, in Baltimore, it's a really similar population to Chicago, so we haven't found a whole lot of differences there. Um, a couple of years ago when Baltimore was facing a lot of um, challenges due to violence and, and police brutality, um, we did find through our evaluation that there was a higher level of, you know, kind of stress and anxiety in the girls there, which just made sense given what was going on in the city at the time and the communities where we're working there. Um, and then in Dallas, we're working with teens down there. So uh, teens are just different than younger girls in a, in a lot of ways, obviously. Um, and and it's a little bit different than um, the population we work with in Chicago, where in Chicago, most of our teen girls, almost all of them are, you know, first-generation college hopefuls. So 
you know, um, they all do go on to college, but they're the first ones in their families to be doing that. That's, I would say in Texas, it's probably about half and half. So it's a little more diverse socioeconomically than it is in Chicago. It sounds like you have sort of a, a general plan, but you are also responding to specific events that happen in each city. Yes, absolutely. I mean, we have a, a set curriculum, um, but recognizing that, you know, it's necessary for us to be responsive to what's going on at any given time in the, in the communities where we serve. So it's not even city by city in Chicago, it's community by community. And tell me a little bit more about working at the detention center. Yeah, so that was an opportunity that kind of came our way. They reached out to us. They found that a lot of the girls there were asking for sports opportunities. Like I said earlier, we're pretty clear in that we're never going to be doing just a sports program. And so we had a lot of conversations with them about coming in there and, you know, saying that we'll come in and certainly facilitate sports, but we want to run, you know, the whole spectrum of our our curriculum, which includes the leadership development and the health and nutrition. You know, we like to say we serve the whole girl. And they were very open to that. So it was a little bit of a process kind of going through the approval there and, and getting cleared by all of their processes and then also on our end finding the funding for that program. But um, we started doing programming there, I think, last March or April and are there twice a week. We work with two different groups of girls there. So one group tends to be um, more of the short-term girls that are probably in and out in a few weeks, and then another group is the longer-term girls who um, likely are there for, for probably more serious crimes, and so they're, they're there for a longer period of time. And the girls have responded um, amazing. I mean, they, they are so receptive to the program, and they're so kind of open to what we talk about. We try to give them a lot of choice. So we'll go in with, you know, here's here's different topics we can talk about and um, different sports we can play, and we let them choose which one, you know, they're interested in, and they've responded really well to that. They don't have a lot of choice in their day-to-day lives. So, um, you know, we want to give them that, that freedom to have a little bit of say in what they're doing. One of the programs we do with our teen girls outside of juvenile attention is called Leader to Leader Interviews, where they go and interview women in different professions and kind of talk about their careers and their backgrounds and kind of give them an idea of what they might want to be thinking about for their own future. And so we've been able to do a couple of those at JTDC. We're bringing folks into the facility to do leader-to-leaders with the girls, and um, they've responded really well to that. So it's been really rewarding work. One of the things that we really would like to do but haven't, um, haven't had a whole lot of success yet, it's still kind of a work in progress, is once girls do leave the facility, transition them into our existing programming. So um, we want to, you know, kind of position girls in the game as an ongoing support for these girls, even after they're no longer in detention. And you said that that's been difficult. It's been difficult for a variety of reasons, yeah. Um, one, just uh, bureaucracy. So there's confidentiality issues. We don't, we don't even know the girls' last names when we're working with them when they're in the facility. And so um, it kind of puts the onus on the girls to reach out to us after they leave, and, you know, a lot of these girls are kind of going back into the same chaotic environment that, you know, ended up, um, you know, leading them to detention in the first place. And so recognizing that reaching out to girls in the game, while they may really want to do that, once they kind of get back to their everyday life, it kind of falls by the wayside. And so we've been trying to work with kind of their caseworkers that keep in touch with them after they leave to direct them to get in touch with us. And 
um, have made a little bit of progress there recently. So it's just, it's just everything there takes a lot of time. Everything there takes longer than we, than we think it's going to. Right, right. That leads to a question that I had is, is how do girls find, how do girls find you or how do their families find you and how do they end up getting involved? Yeah, that's a good question. So it depends on the program. Our after-school programs, those take place at schools and parks. And so they, they find us through the school. You know, we go there and we recruit um, in the classrooms at lunchtime. We send stuff home with the girls. So that's, that's pretty easy because we're coming to the school and leading the programming at the girls' school. Um, our teen program, a lot of those girls were involved with girls in the game when they were younger, so that's how they know about us. Um, a lot of it is word of mouth, so a, a teen might be involved and um, might tell her friends about it, and then her friends want to join. Um, we do go to different high schools and, and recruit there as well and you know, get in touch with guidance counselors and uh, different folks at the school who might be able to refer girls to us. Our summer programs are um, not site-specific, so our summer camp takes place you know, at the park where our offices are, and we have buses that pick girls up from all over the city and bring them to our summer camp. And so that is, um, they come to us in a variety of ways. Some are just parents kind of looking for something for their girls to do over the summer. A lot of them are after-school participants, so um, they're involved with girls in the game during the school year and then, you know, want to stay involved throughout the summer. Um, and then some are just girls that have been to camp, you know, year after year, and they um, just keep coming back because they have so much fun. So it, it just depends on the program. And are the girls that are involved in your various programs, are they excited to be there, or are they sort of reluctantly signed up by somebody else? They um, are excited to be there. I mean, certainly um, there's always exceptions, but for the you know, our programs are voluntary, so you know, girls are never required to be there. Um, you know, after school, the girls choose to come, and yes, they're they're very excited. If you came to one of our after school sites, you would hear the excitement because you know <laughs> they've been sitting sitting still in a classroom all day. So by the time they get to our program, they definitely have a lot of energy to burn. But but yeah, I mean they they're excited at the, at the younger age. You know, it's it's easy at the younger age to you know keep girls involved. What um, one of the priorities for us right now is figuring out how to improve our middle school program because we're finding that that's when we kind of lose a lot of girls and a lot of girls drop off at that middle school age. And so right now we're doing a lot of focus groups with middle school students and trying to gather uh, as much information as we can to figure out how to keep girls involved at that middle school age, recognizing that, you know, kind of if they drop off at middle school, it's much harder to get them reengaged once they get to high school. And I, and I guess that was sort of the root of my question is that, you know, like how do you how do you get the girls that are sort of on the bubble about joining or on the fence about joining? How do you get them to get involved or stay involved? You know, one of the things that we are really proud of is that, um, you know, our program is a safe space for girls, that that all-girl environment is really important for girls to, um, you know, be able to try new things without being nervous or afraid people are going to laugh at them. Um, And we actually found through our evaluation results a couple of years ago that our programs actually enroll more girls that are overweight and obese than the general population of Chicago Public Schools. So what that's telling us is that, you know, our programs are reaching girls that are traditionally very hard to reach. So a lot of these girls that probably are not going to go join the basketball team because they would probably be too embarrassed or 
um, nervous to try it, if they're a little bit overweight and self-conscious, they find that our program is a safe space for them. And so um, that's really something that we emphasize. We're multi-sport, and so, um, you know, we think that that helps as well and that no girl is, you know, always going to be the star, no girl is always going to be the bench warmer. And so, you know, chances are the girl who's going to be the best one at basketball is probably not going to be the best one at rhythm and movement. And so I so love that you do. Sorry to interrupt, but I so love that you do so many different sports because I completely, you know, like, yes, you know, having a program that offers a real variety that taps into a real variety of skills and abilities is awesome. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we always, you know, make sure to point out like we're not a competitive sports program. Like we, you know, we teach girls how to play a whole bunch of different things and hope that they find something that they love. But, you know, they do the same sport for three weeks and then they move on to something new. And a lot of the sports, you know, a lot of them are sports they probably played before, like soccer. But then, you know, a lot of them are tennis. A lot of these girls have never tried tennis before and um, doing yoga and lacrosse and flag football. And, you know, at summer camp we do so many different sports. The girls will be out there playing ultimate frisbee and rugby and, you know, just like all kinds of things that they would never try otherwise and and having that, you know, all-girl environment is really important to that. You know, a lot of the schools will say, like, oh, you know, we'll come to them to talk about our program, and they'll say, you know, girls in our school just aren't really interested in sports. But the reality is if it's, like, an open gym-type environment where it's co-ed and they kind of throw a basketball out, like, yeah, the girls aren't going to play. You know, you might have that one girl who's kind of the bold girl who will go play with all the boys, but you know, for the most part, the boys are going to dominate that and the girls are going to sit on the sidelines and watch. But, um, you know, if you take them in a different environment and make it fun and safe and welcoming and encourage teamwork, then the girls are going to have fun and like playing sports. This is a good segue to my next uh, line of questioning is I'm actually really selfishly thrilled that you're here talking to us because it's a great opportunity for me to talk to you and learn about the fundamentals of why sports are important for females of all ages. So why are sports important? Well, there are so many studies that show that, you know, successful women are more likely to have played sports as girls. And so, um, you know, you can look at the the surveys of um you know, women in these C-suite professions, and overwhelmingly, they've they've played competitive sports as a as a kid. And you know, for us, we you know most Chicago public schools don't have sports for girls at young ages. And so, um, we recognize that if a girl's never tried basketball, she's probably not going to try out for the team when she gets to high school. It's just not going to happen. And so that's partly why you know we strive to really just introduce girls to a whole bunch of sports. Um, Girls who play sports are less likely to engage in risky behavior. They they get better grades than other girls. They have more confidence. They, um, you know, have higher self-esteem, and, and they're healthier, so healthier kind of inside and out. Um, you know, when we first started and, and we started, you know, focusing on nutrition, it was before it was really like this hot topic that it is today. I mean, now everyone's talking about childhood obesity and you know, Michelle Obama really brought that to the forefront, which, you know, which is awesome. But, um, you know, when we started, it was really focusing on how to, how to make girls healthy kind of inside and out and recognizing that a lot of girls in Chicago just don't have, um, they don't have the opportunities and, and they don't have the, the safety. A lot of girls that we work with can't go outside and play in their communities because it's not safe to do so. And so, 
you know, we really want to give them the opportunities to play sports and be active and, and get all those great things that go along with sports and in a safe place. And you've been involved long enough in Girls in the Game that you can talk about sort of the long view of successes and challenges. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I've been at Girls in the Game for um, more than eight years now. And in that time, Girls in the Game has has grown tremendously. Um, and, you know, it's in a lot of ways, we've expanded what we're doing. We feel really good that we're, we've deepened our impact. But, you know, we're still facing tremendous challenges. I mean, Chicago is a city that has it's got a lot of problems right now. Um, you know, CPS has, has no money. And so, um, you know, we've always charged schools a program fee for our programs, and that's, that's getting harder and harder for us to do. And, and we never want to, you know, turn schools away because of lack of funding. Um, we don't charge any girls for our programs, but, you know, we also don't want to say, oh, we can't go to that school anymore because they don't have the money to pay for it. And so, you know, from a funding perspective, it's been, you know, more challenging every year to find the money to run our programs. And then recognizing that, you know, the communities where we work, which are mostly on the south and west side, are facing, you know, very real challenges with violence and um, poverty and, you know, lack of employment. And all of that is affecting girls. And so often girls are left out of the conversation. I mean, there's, there's a lot of conversations in Chicago about how to stop the violence and all of that centers around how to get the guns out of young boys' hands, which obviously is important. Um, but what no one is really talking about is that girls are disproportionately affected by the violence. You know, they, they might not be the ones that are usually pulling the trigger, but they're there. Um, and these are their friends, and these are their boyfriends, and these are their brothers. And so, um, you know, we want to make sure that girls are a part of that conversation, too. So as much as I feel like we've made a lot of strides, we also continue to, to face a lot of challenges, you know, when it comes to girls and their needs in Chicago. You're certainly dealing with a lot. I mean, you're dealing with, you know, specific stuff to the communities that you service, but you're also dealing with issues about girls in society in general. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, this past year has really brought a lot of that to the to the national conversation and you know in a good way um and so you know we've been been trying to make sure that you know we're part of that conversation i mean we're not a political organization by any means but you know when you're talking about girls and women's rights that sort of transcends politics and um you know just hearing on a, on a national level how far women and girls still have to go to get equal treatment just reminds us of why the work we're doing is so important because one of the things we do is, you know, not just give girls opportunities to, to play sports and be active, and, and that's all really important, but what's more important to that is that we help girls kind of discover their voices and, and see themselves as leaders and realize that they can affect change, you know, in their, in their communities and in their own lives. And, um, you know, we really see ourselves as kind of empowering the next generation of female leaders. How are you doing that? Um, one of the things that I read about your program is that you do encourage speaking up for themselves and, you know, allowing for healthy conflict resolution. And I was just wondering very specifically how you're going about doing that. Yeah, well, you know, at, at a younger age, we have curriculum that's 
you know, very specific to conflict resolution and making smart decisions. And, and so it's age appropriate. You know, at a younger age, it's a lot of kind of role-playing scenarios and what would you do in this situation and talking about it. Um, and then, you know, at a teen level, it's a lot of kind of teaching them to affect change by doing. And so they'll look at how they can implement like a service project in their communities or their schools you know, just by going out and kind of leading workshops for younger girls, they're, they're seeing that they can um, be a role model for those younger girls and that they can, you know, be someone that those younger girls look up to and that that's a big responsibility. Um, another thing that's really kind of important to our teen programs is we're bringing girls together from all over the city. And so these girls don't necessarily know each other until they, they get to girls in the game. And so you know, because of that, they're learning to work with people that are different than them, that are from different communities. And, you know, um, when they're planning the workshops, I mean, it's on, to, it's on the teens to kind of figure out who's going to do what. And then afterwards, talk about, like, what went well, what didn't go well, what could we have done better, what should we do differently next time. And, you know, they're working that out amongst themselves. And so they're learning, you know, by doing how to kind of work with other people, how to, you know, figure out um, different opinions, how to bridge differences and things like that. How are you teaching girls to, to talk up for themselves and, you know, not being so worried about being liked or being nice or things like that? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. And that's a, that's a hard thing to teach young girls. I feel like as a, you know, I have a young daughter and I try to be so conscious of, you know, how I talk with her and making sure that, you know, She's being raised, and she's two, so obviously we've got a lot of time, but, you know, how, how she's being raised, you know, to be the strong, confident girl. Um, but, you know, I think one of the things that we emphasize to teens is that there's different kinds of leaders. So you don't always have to be the loudest voice in the room, but um, often it's not the loudest voice in the room that is the voice that everyone wants to listen to. And so um, a lot of it is exposing them to different leaders, and so you know, they, they'll meet women through the leader-to-leader interviews they do, but, through you know, we, we'll bring in guest speakers like we brought in um, last weekend that the teens were able to hear from a woman who started uh, a line of, like, you know, dolls that were like sports dolls, so to kind of counteract, like, the brass dolls and things like that, this woman created. Oh, tell me more about these sports dolls. That's awesome. Um, yeah, I can't think of the name. I think they're, they're, I think they're called Go-Go Sports Dolls. But it was interesting because this woman, um, you know, has done really amazing things. She created this this whole line because she saw a need, um, and then, you know, she wanted to do something about it. But the teens also pushed back on her. You know, her dolls were all white, and they said, okay, well, why, you know, why don't you have any diversity in your dolls, and are you looking to do that? And so it was nice That's to fantastic. hear them sort of respectfully you know, challenge her, like, what you're doing is great, but there should be more. And, and you know, she, you know, handled it really well, and absolutely they're looking into it, and that's, you know, next on the horizon and all of that stuff. But, um, right. you know, but teaching Good them Good for that, them. But, yeah, it's okay to question that, you know, that that you should ask those questions. And, and so a lot of it is kind of giving them the information and then kind of asking the questions and then, you know, kind of letting them think about it and talk about it amongst themselves and, um, you know, introducing them to women in different fields and different ideas and, um, you know, giving them the freedom to kind of take that information and do with it what they want. I bet exposure is a, a big a big factor in your program, just exposing 
the girls to different sports and exposing them to different mentors and different jobs and, you know, career Absolutely. fields? I mean, Chicago is such a, a segregated city that often girls don't leave their own neighborhoods. I mean, they, they might live two or three miles from the loop and, and never go downtown. I remember a few summers ago, I was downtown with a group of girls going on a leader to leader interview. And, and one of the girls, you know, we, we were leaving the interview and she said, Oh, we, we need to get on the L here and hop on the green line. And, and I said, Oh, that's great. I said, you really know your way around. You come downtown a lot. And she looked at me and she said, I've never been downtown except for with girls in the game. And it really struck me that, like, you know, what we're doing is giving them more than just taking them to this interview, but, you know, we're taking them outside of their comfort zone and, and kind of exposing them to a whole world that they would not be seeing otherwise. Right. And making it less scary. And making it less scary. And, and, and this girl, you know, not only had been downtown a number of times with the girls in the game, but was confident enough to tell me what L we needed to get on. Right. You know, I mean, right. that, was, that was something. What advice do you have for young girls or young women? Well, young girls, I would say to seek out leadership opportunities. So um, if it's not girls in the game, find some other program that, you know, will give you an opportunity to grow as a leader. Um, you know, so often I think in, in high schools it, it ends up being about the boys. So you cheer for the boys' sports teams and the boys are the, you know, president of the class and the girls are kind of left in the background. So uh, don't let that happen, you know, and sometimes it's it's on girls to find those opportunities. And then for, for young women, I would say look for opportunities to um, be a mentor to young girls. Young girls need that. And there there are a lot of programs that, you know, allow you to do that kind of thing. Again, if it's not girls in the game, there there's other programs. So it's really important that women support and help other women and girls. And it sounds like in your program, The Girls in the Game, that you make that a, a priority is the girls helping the other girls. Absolutely. Absolutely. We didn't talk about your athletic background. What is your athletic background? Yeah, so I grew up um, in the suburbs of Chicago and, you know, was was lucky enough to grow up playing all kinds of sports. So I, you know, played softball, I played basketball, I um, played volleyball a little bit, but mostly when I was younger, I would say softball and basketball were were my uh, two main sports. Um, and then as I got older, you know, I, I still like to play sports for fun, but I think like most people, your opportunities dwindle as you get older. Um, and now I find myself uh, mostly running would be my, uh, my uh, sport of choice right now, I guess. So, yeah, I mean, sports are definitely a huge part of who I was, and it wasn't until I came to girls in the game that I realized that girls in the city just don't have the same opportunities that girls in the suburbs have. I mean, when I grew up, it wasn't like, you know, whether I could play sports, it was which sports I was going to play. And Hmm. that's just not the case for girls growing up in the city. And um, I also was fortunate enough, I went to an all-girls high school, and that certainly has had a huge influence on who I am. Um, I feel really strongly about the all-girl environment and the benefits of that. And I think that also really led me to girls in the game, not only the sports piece of it, but the all-girls piece of it. Right, right. When I was talking to Summer Ann, she said that some of your areas of passion are subtle messages of girls received 
um, from society, talking about Girls in the Game program and Still Grit and the importance of our program over the long term. Do you want to address any of those in a way that we haven't already? Sure. I don't think we, we've really talked a whole lot about the, the whole concept of grit, which you know has become a, a bit of a hot topic in the last couple of years. What is grit? I didn't know what it was until our researchers from Loyola brought it up to me. And they kind of said, like, this is, this is a, a hot topic and it's something we can look at. And, and what it is is basically um, that really uh, intangible concept of, like, not giving up when things get tough. They did a lot of research on people who had succeeded in different fields. So whether it was, like, a, a Navy SEAL and, um, you know, academia and, and all these different fields, and they found that the one overwhelming key to success was not like who's the smartest or the strongest. It was who doesn't give up when things get hard. And that's a really hard thing to teach kids. You know, it's something that everyone can recognize is really important, but it's, uh, there's not a whole lot of clarity on like, how do you make sure you're raising gritty kids? And we were able to do research to show that after being involved in our program, girls are grittier, so they're less likely to quit when things get hard. They're more likely to try new things. And we attribute a lot of that to kind of that, that safe environment and that, that we've created for girls. But that's something we're really proud of because that is something that, one, will help girls overcome challenges, and two, is a, a future indicator of success in life. How is Loyola involved with the program? Is it mostly uh, evaluation? Yeah, so it's the Loyola Department of Psychology and uh, a tenured professor there, her name is Dr. Amy Bonart, um, and they've been involved, yeah, just evaluating our program for the past 10 years. So, um, you know, every year we, we kind of shift up the evaluation a little bit and look at a little, I mean, sometimes we're, we're always looking at some of the same things, but you know, we'll also look at like, okay, well, what if we took a look at this this year? Um, and one of the things they're working on with us right now is, how to measure the impact of our programs over the long term. And so we have a lot of results showing that, you know, after one session or one year of our program, so 10 weeks or 30 weeks, um, you know, we can show positive results. But what we're looking at now is, like, if we can show that a girl is involved for three or four years, what are those results? So what is kind of that long-term involvement? What can we show there? And we don't really have any results yet because it's going to take a couple of years to, to really do that. But that's something that we're focusing with, on with them a lot right now. Do you follow the girls once they leave your, your program and go off to school or jobs or whatever they do uh, once they get out of high school? We do. Um, a, lot of the, a lot of the teens will end up working for us at our summer camp during their school breaks. Um, um, if they go to school in Chicago, some of them will end up coaching for us You know, year-round. We have... Um, right now on staff, we have a full-time staff member who is an alumni of our programs, and we have, I think, uh, two more alumni who are currently coaching in our programs. And then during the summer, basically our entire summer camp staff will be alumni that um, come back and coach for us. So, yeah, we, we do stay in touch with them. We want, um, we want them to stay involved in any way that works for them. And I assume that uh, they remain successful and positive and gritty. Yes, exactly. And if I don't live in one of your your cities, what do people do to get involved? Well, I mean, we could end up being in one of your cities. <laughs> <at some point. laughs> That's very but, true. You know, follow us on social media. I don't know if you are already doing that, but 
I am, um, yeah. Yeah, and, you know, share our posts. We try to share information that is relevant to anybody, not just someone who lives in, in one of our markets. Um, you know, just information that's empowering to girls and women. We try to be a real um, voice for girls and women, so to advocate for, you know, women and girls doing amazing things. So if you can, you know, help us spread the word on those things, that's, that's a huge help. Is there anything else that you'd like to cover that maybe we haven't talked about? No, this has been great. It's been fun talking with you. Yeah, fun talking to you as well. This is certainly an interest of mine, and I really applaud what you guys are doing. It's awesome. Thank you. Definitely check us out and check out our website and our social media and stay in touch. Thank you. Thank you so much. For the next couple of months, I partnered with Joy Machine's Bike Shop right here in Cleveland, Ohio. For Hear Her Sports listeners, they have offered a 10% discount on purchases up to $100. Find details on the membership page of hearhersports.com. Thank you, Joy Machines, Goldmines, Leap, and Agnes Studio for your ongoing support. And thank you for listening. We are on social media at Hear Her Sports. For the past week, I've been posting about the fantastic and united U.S. women's national hockey team. They are truly, truly my heroes right now. They did an awesome job negotiating with U.S. hockey for better pay. Congratulations to them. Sports stars. They're like superheroes. But they're actually real. Which is why we've made a podcast about them. You see... They've all got a story. But too many of these stories were cut short. Kobe Bryant. Payne Stewart. Flo jo, Phil Hughes. Justin Fashionew. We're writing episodes about all of them. And sadly, many more. Death of a Sports Star. A new series from Crowd Network. <laughs>